This episode was recorded in 2021. Welcome to the Spring Back Guide podcast, formerly known as the New Leaf podcast, where I share the stories of a bunch of amazing women whose professional lives and identities have all been transformed for the better by becoming a mum. My name is Letty, and I'm the founding coach of the Spring Back Guide, created to get you back to work happy after your baby. This podcast is made for you. Ready to dive in? Okay, let's go. Welcome, Claire Gleave. Hi, Letty. Thanks for having me on your show. It's lovely to have you. An absolute pleasure. Where are you in the world right now and what can you see in front of you? Oh, well, so I am in my lounge, but I'm in what we call the grown-ups lounge in our house because we're very lucky that we sort of have two lounges, one which is a lounge stroke study and one which has really nice sofas in so the kids (laughs) aren't allowed in here. I mean, how do you keep the kids out of it? I think because there's no TV in here, uh, which is, <laughs> oh, is, so, so, you know, they're not interested. There's no TV, there's no computer games. So it's a bit boring for them. Tell me about your immediate family unit then. Who is in it? Okay, so I'm married to Ollie. We have been together for more years than I care to count. We met in our late teens. So oh, wow. we've been together forever. So we have three boys. They are 10, 8, I have to keep reminding myself, and nearly 6. So okay. I'm sort of out of that baby phase now. And it's really been, I'd say, the last two years that you really feel that suddenly like my 30s were just a minefield of nappies and sleepless nights and everything that you are now going through with your little one and with your <laughs> new baby. I feel what you are going through because that was me for however long that went on for, six, seven years. And now we're at this lovely stage where you can do stuff with them and you don't need to worry about routines. And if you let them have a bit of a late night, it's not the end of the world. If you go out and you haven't got the right kind of food with you, you can buy them a bag of crisps at the shop. You know, just, it's just <laughs> like everything is just easier. So it's a really nice stage that we're at because we're also at that stage where they still want to hang out with us. So mm. you know, certainly from a lockdown point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And also almost six at least their sort of school age. So it's not quite so full on. I mean, as you said, you're out of the nappy phase, you're out of that sort of the the toddler taby madness. Although then the downside, which that's just reminded me, the downside of lockdown was I did have to homeschool all three of them. So that was probably, (laughs) that's me. This is a problem. You look back on things with rose tinted glasses and then you go, oh yeah, that homeschooling thing was horrendous. (laughs) I never want to do that again. We've heard about your three lovely little ones or not so little ones, but what did you do pre-baby? What did you do in your 20s then, I guess? If your 30s were all nappies, what were your 20s? Oh, my 20s. They were good fun. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I worked in PR and marketing. So I left university. I studied journalism at university and then went into PR for a financial services PR agency in my first job in London, and then took a job with Coots Bank, who I don't know if you've ever heard of them. It's a private bank, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yes, and it's sort of quite famous for being the Queen's Bank. Oh, there we go. (laughs) uh, But it was sort of this weird kind of 
institution that had this sort of real fusty kind of history and yet this really sort of cool modern side to it as well that lots of people didn't know about. So it was a really interesting place to work. So I started on the PR team there and then moved later into marketing role. And I loved it. I was there for probably 10 years, actually, in total. I left at the end of my maternity leave with my second son. So I went back after having my first, but I was, I confess, one of these people that rang their boss the week before they were due to come back from maternity leave to say, just need to let you know I'm pregnant again (laughs) because I've only got 18 months between my first two. So I was, was literally, I think I had my scan the week before I was due to start back at work and she was very understanding about it. I guess she didn't really have a choice. So I went back for about five months, I think it was in the end, probably not quite that, and then took maternity leave again. And then there was redundancies happening. So I took voluntary redundancy at the end of my second maternity leave, because by that point I was commuting into London and it just, it was just about doable with one. And my husband was very sort of helpful with the nursery runs and stuff, but his business was really taking off at the time. So that was more difficult for him. We didn't have family help, you know, nearby. And so it just made more sense and the childcare cost and everything. And then the commuting costs, my train ticket into London and stuff, it just, didn't make sense to carry on going with it. I left after then and then did the odd bit of consultancy work, but largely was a stay-at-home mum until then starting Natal Active last year. So much to unpick from what you said, (laughs) so much. But I mean, 18 months, it is a very small age gap. I can't even imagine if you've had a baby for the first time and you've just then headed back to work and your head is already back in the baby space because you've just been... I mean, that's just wild. I mean, how was that mentally for you at that time? I don't know. It's so weird. I think you just get on with it. I I was really lucky with my first. He was a really easy baby. That's not to say I found that transition into having him easy because I didn't, but he was a very easy baby. If my second had come first, I don't think we would have had such a close age gap (laughs) because he definitely wasn't an easy baby. But I think my first lulled us into this kind of false sense of security. To me, I was just a bit like yeah this is hard but it's not as hard as people make out like we were sort of told yeah you'll never go out you'll never be able to do this you'll never be able to do that and actually he was such a good baby that within a couple of months he was in this kind of seven o'clock bedtime routine and we would do his bedtime routine and put him in the car seat and go out for dinner and he'd sleep in the car seat in the on the push chair while we had dinner I'd then do his nighttime feed at half past 10 when we got home and just transfer him to bed we went out as much when we had our first baby as we ever had done pre-children. Obviously, we weren't out like drinking and going wild and crazy, but <laughs> he just slotted into our lives. So I was really looking forward to going back to work. I had really missed it. And, and I loved it when I went back, even for those few months, because... I thought, oh, actually, like you forget, you lose a sense of self, I think. And you're in this completely different role as a mum. And you do sort of forget when you're not using your brain in that kind of work environment, or for me anyway, obviously it's different for everybody. But for me, I found that really hard. And I was worried going back that maybe I wouldn't be able to do it anymore. Would I remember? And within my first day, I was like, oh my God, yes, I know what I'm doing here. And this is brilliant. And I love it. And I loved having the balance of two. I think I went of the two, I went back three days a week. So I had two days with him and then obviously the weekend, but these three days where I was 
in work. Yeah. And lots of people say that four days a week, you end up basically just working full time, but in four days. So you're sort of being paid less, but for four days, whereas three days is a little bit more of a justification for no, actually, because I work part time, I can't take on that or this or whatever it is. So you said your first baby was quite an easy baby. That must have made that second one really quite tough. It did. I mean, it's amazing how much you forget in between babies. So I remember being really amazed when I had my second, but I forgot they need to sleep every 45 minutes or something like that, <laughs> how much sleep they need. So I think, why is he screaming his head off? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, he's he knackered, needs to sleep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that sort of stuff. And the fact that with my eldest, I would just feed him and put him back down, he'd sleep. Whereas Cameron, my middle one, he'd be like, burping him, walking around, settling him down, shush pat, all that stuff that you do. So I think your brain has a way of not reminding you how hard it was at the time because you'd never do it again. And I, I, I suppose now I look back and I remember that by the time he was one, I had them both in this absolutely hot routine where they would both sleep two hours at lunchtime and I'd get this break and they'd both be down dead on seven o'clock ready to bedtime done. And we would have our evening and maybe, yes, we'd get woken up if there was teething or illness or whatever, but generally they both slept really well. So that's the bit I remember. And I always Mm -hmm. think one day when I'm a mother-in-law and have hopefully maybe some grandchildren of my own, I'm going to remind myself that I've said this because like certainly my mum, she always tells me about how easy things were and this is what we did in my day. But of course, you don't remember how tough it was. So it yes. must have been tough. But I think I've switched off to a lot of it now. Yeah. And actually, I think you've raised a really good and important point, because I think sometimes there is a certain amount of tactical forgetfulness. Definitely. <laughs> about, um, as in tact- tactical by nature, as in nature does a really good job of just being like, oh, wasn't it all so wonderful? But obviously, up until natal active, which we'll talk about, you said how much you'd enjoyed the stimulation of being back at work. So what happened in the interim between two and three that made you think, okay, actually, I just need to stop this? Yeah, it was more that the logistics and the cost of going back to work and having two in nursery made it not really worthwhile. Also, actually, my husband then sold his first business, which gave us an opportunity as a family to go and do some traveling. So by which point I was pregnant with number three, and we went off and took our two and three-year-old off to New Zealand and to Fiji and to Thailand. And we did this sort of two-month little mini world tour with our kids in tow before we then moved to the Cotswolds because it was closer to my mum and closer to Ollie's parents. And so to my mind, I sort of thought, I'm just going to now just get on with it and and have my baby and move house and get settled because that takes time. And it's always even more difficult with kids in tow. So I did that and then sort of felt because he's very young, he's an end of August baby. He was going to be starting school anyway, just after his fourth birthday. So I just felt that, right, I'm going to now stay at home. And then when he goes to school, that was then my time to think, what am I going to do? So that last Mm -hmm. year or so, 18 months before he started, school that was very much me trying to decide what I was going to do and actually I had the idea for this business really back in the days when I had my first son but the idea of starting my own business was quite daunting and to me my comfort zone my safety zone was to go back into the corporate world and 
I started looking for corporate jobs initially. And the problem that I then found was when you've had a, at that point, I think I'd had maybe four years out of proper full-time employment and people, I thought it was just a bit of a myth, but the reality is that people aren't interested. So I, I obviously was a bit more limited coming from a financial services background in terms of what was local to me here in this new area being in the Cotswolds Mm. but there were opportunities and there was one job I went for that required some very specific specialisms that I had run at Coots. I mean, I had a reasonably senior job at Coots. I would be amazed if they found anyone that had experience that matched the Mm. same way that I do. I mean, obviously it's not impossible, but just because of where we're based. And I sent off my CV and I didn't even hear back and I was gutted. And I thought, Mm. oh my gosh, like really is that because I've been out? Maybe, or maybe they've got someone internal for the job. They're just advertising it because Mm. they feel like they need to. And then I went to talk to another wealth management company who I won't name on here, but are reasonably local to me. And I basically contacted them and said, this is my experience and I think I can sort of help. And I'm looking for some part-time consultancy work rather than a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And to cut a very long story short, they basically told me I had a job. This is what they were going to get me to do. I was really excited. It was going to be sort of three days a week. I was starting to put the bones of the idea of natal active together, but thought actually that allows me to earn some money rather than just emptying out my ISA to fund all of this. I feel like I've got some money coming in at the same time. And they said, yeah, we're going to get the contract over to you next week. And then I never heard from them again. And I sort of followed it up and I just got completely ghosted. And I was devastated because I thought, like, why? What's happened here? This was a job that I was perfect for. I had just the right experience. For me, it was in my comfort zone. And I'd been told this job was happening and we talked about rates and the contract was coming. And then not even so much as actually our setup has changed and we can't take you on. Mm -hmm. There was no explanation, nothing. And at the time I was really devastated. And then I just said to my husband, you know what? I know I want to do natal active. My plan was to do it on the side of this job anyway, just to get it started. I'm just going to focus on this because I want something that fits around my family and I want something that's for me. And if it takes me a long time to earn the kind of money I'd earn consulting, then fine. But I'd rather do it for myself and feel like I've got to go and work for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And actually, then that's what I did. And actually, it's worked out quite well. So maybe that was a push (laughs) I needed. I think the universe works in some really mysterious ways sometimes but I'm really I'm slightly speechless and appalled on your behalf that they just didn't even bother I mean do you have any theories I don't know maybe the guy that was dealing with me got sacked for something I don't know I mean it's a complete guess Okay, so we're going to get on to natal active a bit, but you said that you'd had this idea knocking around since the birth of your first baby. So we can't avoid the topic of birth. How yeah. were your births? Plural, three boys. Yeah. Yes. I was listening actually to your interview with Charlie from Bumps and Burpees the other day. And I think we had a very similar experience first time around, an epidural that resulted in a forceps delivery. And I thought it was really interesting, actually, what Charlie was saying about how people feeling that the birth must have been really traumatic because I didn't find my birth traumatic, but I think I was wildly unprepared. So I did NCT and I don't think NCT, well, certainly then it's 10 years ago. So of course it might be different now, but it didn't prepare you for the realities of giving birth at all. 
<laughs> I'm not going to say not, anything. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to remain silent. Okay, I'll take that as it is. Yeah. But yes, yeah. it certainly didn't prepare you at all. And so I, I had a tens machine, but I hadn't figured out how to put it on or anything. Just thought, <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I'll do that when stuff will start. And then of course that kind of quickly got chucked away when I couldn't figure it out. Didn't realise that actually it was better to have it on right from the beginning of contractions and all that sort of Aww. stuff. Like the those sorts of details. Yeah, and they matter. They really they matter. They do matter. Yeah. And there was a little bit about breathing techniques, but really not in any great detail. So when I went into labor and it started getting really quite painful and I started being really sick, which no one had told me could happen. So that completely threw me. In fact, I'd gone to, into it. So I'm a marathon runner and I've run I don't know, something like 12 or 13 marathons now. I've lost Seriously? Like, yeah, a lot. Yeah. It's <laughs> amazing. I don't say really blase, but it, yeah, it's just something I've, yeah, years, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've done it. I did my first marathon at 24. So I'd run a number wow. of marathons before having children. And I went into labor treating it like a marathon. So mm. I had like my pre-labor meal. So as soon as it started, I went and made mashed banana on toast because I thought, yeah, I've got to have all the energy I need. Up. And then... I basically halfway through vomited the whole lot up oh, and I would say I hit the wall <laughs> and just went, give me an epidural. I can't take it anymore. And because I just was completely unprepared for how much it would hurt and how to mentally get myself through that. So that was what it was. And yeah, he was born by forceps and my recovery was reasonably straightforward and I didn't know any different. So I had nothing to compare it to. Social media was nowhere near like it is now in terms of the information and stuff out there. So you didn't go on the baby center chat forums and stuff at the time, but that was really like the sum of this kind of information that you could get from other people. Mm. Then when I had my second baby, <laughs> we actually call him Cannonball because we also came out the way he lives his life. He is like the Tasmanian devil, full of energy. That was such a quick birth. I mean, I think he was born within half an hour of me making it to hospital. Oh and my I remember, God. I, remember, I mean, it was literally three hours from start to finish. And Whoa. my husband was driving me to the hospital and he was <gasps> like, I thought you told me there was five minutes between your contractions. That's way less than five minutes. I was like, I know, just get me there. So I got to the hospital that time and was like, I just want an epidural. And they said, sorry, you're actually already eight centimeters dilated. So it's too late. So I thought, okay, I've got to do it. And she went off to go and fill the pool up because I said, can I get in the pool? And when she came back having to move me into the pool room, I just said, no, I think I need to push. Am I allowed to push? And she went, yeah, go for it. And I think within about three pushes, he was out. That's um, amazing. Which was amazing, but I felt very out of control. So there was a part mm. of me that thought, okay, now I have to do this thing that everyone talks about of having a drug-free birth. I mean, I didn't even have gas and air or anything. Oh, um, God, Claire no one offered it to me and I didn't think to ask for it. So it wasn't, I couldn't have had gas. It mm. just was all so fast. So mm. there was a part of me that was a bit glad, but then when I needed to push, I was sort of holding back. And then I thought, no, if I hold back, it's going to go on longer. So I just need to get it over and done with, but it was very fast and out of control. So mm. when it then came to my third labor, I wanted to be much more prepared. And I knew by that point I could do it without any interventions of drugs, but I wanted to do it in a way that felt more in control. Mm -hmm. So I tried hypnobirthing and I am quite a cynical person generally oh, in life. Okay. And <laughs> hi 
hypnobirthing didn't do it for me. I had a very lovely lady that did the course. My husband's very similar to me. He switched off after one lesson and was just like, I can't (laughs) do that. And I kind of carried on with the course on my own. But she kept telling me it just won't hurt. You just breathe your baby out. And I thought, that's nonsense. I've had two babies. There's no way yeah. it's not going to hurt. Yeah. That is, that's a lie. That That's not true. Yes, you can control your reaction to pain, mm-hmm. but it does hurt when you have a baby. That is just a fact. And so then it was all this visualize a flower opening and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, I just, it just didn't do it. It didn't work for me. And I know loads of people that absolutely rave about hypnobirthing. And if it works for you, I think that's amazing. But I think for me, I was just a bit too cynical and I didn't like the fact she kept telling me it wasn't going to hurt. And actually, I thought that was a bit wrong to say if I had been a first time, because then you're in that position that I was in anyway, first time around where you're like, oh my gosh, this does really hurt. I actually Mm. then found something called daisy birthing. I don't know if you've ever come across that. No, I haven't actually. But that was like a pregnancy yoga type group. And actually what they taught you was relaxation techniques yoga moves, movements to do in labor to keep you active if you felt you could and the proper breathing techniques for each stage of labor, you know, what to do when you've got the gas and air in your mouth, not to bite down on it, to hold it in your lips and breathe out through your lips. And Mm. yeah, but just those sorts of really practical things. And so I practiced those then when I was listening to my relaxation CDs or whatever they're called. They're not CDs anymore, are they? (laughs) So old. (laughs) Yeah, track. Um, so I'd be listening to them and actually I think my third birth was by far the best experience because I felt in control and it did still hurt but I was able to manage my response to the pain and to keep my body calm and relaxed and he was about a five-hour labor I had to go in to be induced actually but ended up just having my waters broken and that kind of kicked things off Mm -hmm. I did get in the pool for a bit but they couldn't monitor his heart rate properly so I wasn't able to give birth in the pool, but it was all, I just felt much more in control, had a really straightforward, positive experience with that labor. So it took me three goes to get it right. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's so good though. And I think, I mean, I've talked about it before, the like positive birth movement and some of the hypnobirthing, I think can take some women by surprise. And I know that to say to people, it's not going to hurt. And then when it does start to hurt, that can actually be really unnerving and panicking. Yeah. I don't think it's a negative thing to talk about it hurting. I think, and that's the problem for me with some of the hypnobirthing stuff was that it did sort of focus on that being a negative thing. So you can't talk about pain. You've got to talk about surges. And yes, I do understand how that change in language can sometimes the idea is that it changes your attitude mm-hmm. towards mm-hmm. what's happening but I don't think I would have found it very helpful as a first timer having then gone into labor and experiencing it the way that I did but other people might be very different absolutely and I mean I used hypnobirthing just to get through the c-section because it's unnerving it's on the like table an and being operated on whilst you're awake But I'm going to ask a stupid question now, which I wanted to ask you earlier, which is with an assisted delivery or forceps birth, does that always come with an episiotomy and did you have one? I don't know if it always does, but yes, I did have one. Yeah. And how was that recovery? It was pretty 
sore. I was not very comfortable to sit down for about a week properly. I was sort of mm-hmm. very conscious of stitches and stuff. And I do remember very stupidly, and I would never, ever suggest anyone do this, but I decided three weeks after he was born to go for a run. Oh, and, wow, Claire. Yeah, it was <laughs> like now you'd never do it because there's so much information about postnatal recovery out there now, whereas 10 years ago there wasn't. And mm. so for me, I was just like, I'm going to get back into it. And then I went for a run and felt like my insides were about to fall out because, of course, it makes sense. If you break your leg, you wear a plaster cast for six weeks. But mm. no one tells you that when you break your vagina having a baby. <laughs> you know, you just have to get on with it. You're just left to get on with it. You see the doctor after six weeks and they go, yeah, you feeling all right? Yeah, okay, off go and so I just stupidly went out to run and very quickly realized that it wasn't the right thing to do in hindsight it was something I probably should have seen a woman's health physio about should have had some proper rehabilitation around my pelvic floor and the scar tissue but I didn't know and nobody ever told me and I just accepted it as being that must be the way things are what was it that made you think I've got to get out there and go for a run I think it was a combination of things. If I'm honest, there was definitely a motivation to lose baby weight. I I don't feel any shame in saying that. I think there's a lot of people that feel like that. And I think there's a lot of people that don't say they feel like that because it's not really the done thing. That's not to say anyone should be focusing on losing their baby weight that early. But I know that in my heart of hearts, that's how I felt. But I would never have told anyone that at the time. But genuinely, running has always been a really important part of my life. It's where I get headspace. It's where I feel physically fit and strong. Then when I had a baby and subsequent babies, that's then my time to just switch off. And so I was very determined after my first not to feel like I wasn't me anymore. I was really terrified of not being myself. And so I did things like going running far too early when I shouldn't have done really, because there was a big part of me that was quite determined to prove I was still the same person that I always was. And actually, if I want to go for a run, that's what I'll do. And then also, obviously, to just get that little bit of time away from the baby just for half an hour of just fresh air just does you the world of good, whether you're running or walking or whatever. I always think being outside is just really important for mental health. So I think it was a combination of those different factors that kind of came together for me to think, I feel okay now, so I'm going to try it. And then I tried it and went, no, actually, I shouldn't be doing this. It's not time. And you have to be so careful. And I know that before we started recording, you said that you wanted to talk a little bit about prolapse and how it's just not talked about enough and it just needs a lot more attention. Yeah, I mean, I only discovered my prolapse after my third baby. And I say that because I wonder now, in fact, I'm convinced now that some of that was damage that had been done from my first two. So a forceps delivery and a nine pound eight baby with my first two births. But because I never had any urinary incontinence, I just assumed that I was fine. And I was almost a bit Proud of, it sounds, I know I'm not wetting myself. I can still go on the trampoline. What's everybody talking about? It must be because I'm really fit and I do loads of running and that must be why my pelvic floor is really strong. So then when I had my third baby about a week later, I mean, I felt like a golf ball sized lump coming down. I mean, to be completely graphic about it. And I was completely horrified and thought, oh my God, what is this? And Googled it. Obviously, it's always the worst thing you can do is go on Google. But 
it transpired. I had a prolapse. And so I made an appointment as late as my six week check, actually. But I sort of spoke to my GP and they referred me. The surgery had a gynecologist as part of the team. So referred me to go and see her. And I must have seen her at around the six week point, by which point I'd done loads of research into prolapse and running. And it was awful. I hardly told anyone about it. It took me a week to even tell my husband about it. I was so embarrassed. Really? And my oldest son started school the week after my youngest was born. And we walked to school. And some days it would be so either painful or really uncomfortable. And I'd be doing this walk to school thinking, oh God, I just want to go and lie down for a bit now or whatever. Like it really was unpleasant. And I went to see the gynecologist and she told me off for carrying my baby in, in the car seat. And I was like, he's asleep in the car. What am I supposed to do? I didn't even know really I wasn't supposed to carry anything. And she just was really dismissive. I had to persuade her to even examine me she wasn't even going to examine me a gynecologist um, wasn't going to examine you no no prolapse yeah so I told Why? her what was that going I don't really know weird. she made me feel and whether this was right or wrong she made me feel like I was worried about what it looked like and I was angling for surgery because she basically said because I said look I'm a runner and I really want to start running and she said well you won't be running again if you've had a prolapse you can't run anymore and what Yeah. So she said, it's very early days. We wouldn't even consider you for surgery until you're a year postpartum. I said, but I don't want surgery. I've done all this research on Google and this mesh scandal that's only actually recently really hit the Mm -hmm. press. It was already a big thing five years ago. There were enough people talking about it five years ago that made me realize what I didn't want to have was surgery. But what I wanted was for someone to tell me how to fix it. So I mean, she just said, you've got to go and do your Kegels and come back in a year's time. I, I just felt distraught because you're telling me I can't run anymore. And that's such a huge part of my life. You've really made me feel like a bit of a silly little girl. And I don't know, it was just a really lonely experience because I was embarrassed enough about the whole thing and still didn't have any urinary incontinence. So this is, I think, one of the things I always try and get across. It's not just about whether you're wetting yourself, but actually, because I'd always been very hit and miss with Kegels, as I'd found out since having my prolapse, running is one of the worst things for your pelvic floor. I'd always thought because I was running, that was why I wasn't having any continence problems. And I'd never been offered any kind of, I didn't even know what a woman's health physio was. I'd never never been examined after having my forceps delivery or my nine and a half pound baby. So there was no one ever to tell me you need to work on this where you've got a weakness. And I'm convinced that because what I hadn't mentioned actually was although my third labor was very good, the placenta then got stuck. So I had to have a spinal block and a manual placenta removal. So that's a pretty brutal process as anyone will know if they've been through it. And I'm convinced that probably did more damage than anything else. So it was really awful. And it was only really then of me being so determined to find a way to fix myself that I then found a woman's health physio who was amazing and examined me and was able to tell me exactly where my weaknesses were and what I needed to try and focus on. And she did a program. And then I found an holistic core restore program of which there are trainers all across the UK. And I did a pelvic floor six-week rehabilitation program. And this was all probably six months now postnatal. And Mm -hmm. it was my women's health physio that said, try running and see if it makes your symptoms worse, then stop. And if it doesn't, then build yourself up, just be slow and careful. And so that's what I did. And maybe I'm really fortunate. Obviously, everybody's different, but I've never found that it's made my symptoms worse. 
And so from that day, I slowly built back up and I went and I ran the marathon that year and I got the best time I'd ever got in any of my marathons in my 20s pre-children. So I got a PB. It's always been then when I started this business, a really important part of it for me to sort of help give a voice to people who are in that situation because it's a really lonely place to be. And I think the conversation is definitely changing and the way it's talked about on social media. And I have worked with some really incredible physios to put the message across and give people a bit of hope and a bit of information because I certainly didn't have that when it happened to me. And I think there's a lot that can be done. And there are a lot of people telling you what you can't do rather than what you can do when you're in that situation. Sorry to interrupt. If you're feeling inspired by this episode to go back to work happy and confident, then what are you waiting for? I'm the founder of the Springback Guide, and it's an online series of videos just six minutes long each so that anyone can fit it into mum life, focusing on putting yourself first again, getting your confidence back, working better with your partner, and also showing you how to figure out whether you're in the right job at all, and of course, what to do if you're still not sure. If you're already back at work, but feeling stuck and unhappy, it's for you too. It's all designed and led by me to provide you with amazing career and life coaching at a fraction of the price of face-to-face coaching. If you're still not sure or just want to see where I hang out, you can come and chat to me on Instagram at springbackguide. Okay, sorry about that. Let's crack on with the episode. My mind's just been going off like a rocket as you've been talking. <laughs> it's just, it's so hard not to interrupt you and just say how like angry I am, like on your behalf. I just think it's just so extraordinary that not only a gynecologist, but another woman, A, yeah. and also B, another human being, frankly, can treat you that way and speak to you in that way about something that's so debilitating. And I'm sorry to bring up sexism, but I'm going to and I don't care. I don't feel if this were blokes going through this problem on a routine basis, every time you had kids facing health challenges like this, I just, I would just love to know how it would be dealt with differently, put it that way. I totally agree. I think it would be completely different. And you're right. I I feel more angry about it now than I did then. Because I think then I was just in this fog of a mum of three little kids. There's only four years, just over four years between the three boys. So I was in this haze of new baby and my oldest starting school and nursery runs with my middle one and everything that comes with it. And then this whole emotional upheaval and this whole emotional feelings about what was happening to me that I didn't really it wasn't until later when I, and it's almost like more when I started talking about it through the business over the last year, that I do feel more angry about it for exactly the reasons you described. She was a gynecologist. She had a number, I think four children of her own and another woman. And I just thought, gosh, you, you made me feel like crap. <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah, it's something that's really stayed with me, but it is what it is. And I just have to move on from that now. But I know that I can play my part. Which brings us on to natal active, because you said that you had this idea after your first. So what was it that kind of started it all off in the first place? Because maternity sportswear, not exactly a mainstream item. No, that's true. But I think it was because I have been someone that has always exercised, certainly since my sort of 20s, early 20s, particularly running. So I ran through all my pregnancies. I ran to about 34 weeks with the first. 
about 28 with a second because I had some sort of hip problem. And then I ran to 37 weeks with my last baby. And it just always drove me crazy that I didn't have comfortable gym gear to wear. And I would sort of end up wearing like my husband's t-shirts and stuff like that. And I'd buy leggings a size up that always fell down because they fitted over the bump. And it was just really frustrating. And I have always loved gym kit even sort of before it became like the whole athleisure trend because I just wore it a lot and so I felt that there's got to be a need for something like this here because I hate working out when I'm looking like rubbish wearing a massive oversized t-shirt and leggings that I'm pulling up all the time so I had this idea when I had my first baby and when I had him I was breastfeeding and I was also really frustrated about the lack of options of breastfeeding clothes and really felt like there's got to be something that can be done better here because like I bought a really lovely breastfeeding jumper and it was hand wash only and it's all that sort of stuff that I thought oh god I just want some really nice stuff to wear so I started off initially designing a few items that I had in mind and I got to the point of sending those designs off to manufacturers for sampling and I didn't really have much of a clue of what I was doing I mean gosh I'm by no means a, an artist at all so my designs were really quite ropey but then because I fell pregnant very quickly with my second and got into that then I was back at work for that period of time and then had him and was then into this whole thing of having two babies really it just fell by the wayside and I hadn't really ever taken it any further and in fact I hadn't realized how far down the line I'd gone until I came to start natal active and went back through all the stuff that I'd done and I thought oh my gosh all these years I've wasted I could have done this ages mm-hmm. ago but I then started focusing more again so thinking more about the gym gear and so when I had my third baby I'd sort of had this idea for what are now the performance leggings on the website so to have this kind of built-in bump band into a pair of leggings but I was also still thinking about breastfeeding clothes and I had talked to a friend of mine who is a you know qualified fashion designer and actually she designed some incredible stuff but bless her I don't think she meant to but she put me off a bit because she said well you've got to be able to do all the tech packs and then the size grading and pattern cutters and then you have a fabric cutter and you need to be able to do all of this and I was a bit like oh I can just draw it on the back of a notepad so it sort of put me off and so it was only really then as I came to that period of time of this whole corporate world not working out and I thought this is the internet age like I've got to be able to have access to people that can draw me tech packs and patterns and stuff like that and so I found people to do that my designer is based in New Zealand and then the manufacturers have people that can help the pattern cutting and size grading and stuff like that so I didn't need to have all of that myself so I sat there then with these two ideas for two different businesses one of which was focused solely on breastfeeding clothes and one of which was maternity activewear and actually I thought the activewear thing is a thing I'm passionate about because I'm really into my health and fitness and I could see there was a big company in New Zealand that were doing really well over there with a fantastic range of active wear for that market and no one was doing it in the UK and I thought that there's this gap here and I can't be the only person that that feels like that so I just went all in and I used I mean although I have a marketing background I'd never really done any kind of digital marketing because I had a digital team that did that for me Mm. so I didn't have to do it myself and social media wasn't really a very big thing at Coot so this was all very new so I had to learn everything like Instagram I didn't even want to do Instagram when I started (laughs) I was like no I am not going on to Instagram and like posting about my life and now I'm like on it all (laughs) 
all the time. <laughs> but yeah, it was just one of those things. I thought, yeah, this idea, the natal active idea, it suits me and the person I am and things that I'm passionate about. And I think there's the gap that can be filled. And so I went in it with this idea of building a brand and as much as I could on my own with my own money. And yeah, it just sort of really took off. I mean, Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't intend to launch it in the middle of homeschooling three children. That kind of wasn't really in the plan, but sometimes these are just the way things work out. I mean, it's just incredible how much you've grown because I think we've talked about it on the phone, but you were supposed to launch at a particular time, but then COVID happened. So I had originally planned to launch it in February 2020. So I'd sort of started, (laughs) I'd started, yeah. So I had everything set to go in the February and then obviously COVID hit and I was having my stuff manufactured over in China. And so all the manufacturing was delayed. And so I had started, I think in the December, my Instagram with the idea of trying to build a bit of a following prior to the launch. So it felt a bit embarrassing to be going on there going, oh, actually, it's going to be later this year now. Who knows what's going on? But in hindsight, actually, it gave me a chance to step back and build some more genuine connections with people, I think, because I was a bit cynical about Instagram originally. And I thought Mm -hmm. I sort of had a certain idea of what it was like. And actually, I've come to find is you can build some incredible, really genuine connections with people on there. And so that was really good from a business point of view as well, because it meant that by the time I finally launched in June, when my products finally arrived, I couldn't believe how quickly things sold. Back then, I wasn't even doing any online advertising. I was literally all through social media. Now I look back and think, I can't believe I launched the business and didn't do any advertising. (laughs) It's a stupid thing to do for like a a marketing professional that's not even doing any advertising. Budgets were limited and whatnot anyway. So I then launched in the June slap bang in the middle of lockdown in terms of the kids being off school and I just had to go for it once I had everything here Mm. and then I was like wow this is actually really quite incredible you don't get to that point I suppose by not putting the effort in and I have you know deliberately put a lot of effort into my Instagram and I still make mistakes and i put things out there that don't really land. And then I have other things that go completely wild. And so it's always a bit of a learning curve. But yeah, it has been really nice to see. I think because in those early days, you're sort of battling a bit to be heard and to be taken seriously, because when you've only got three followers and people are thinking, are you a serious business? Whereas now I get a lot more people coming to me to collaborate and Mm. stuff. And it's a nice position to be in. Exactly. I mean, it is fantastic. And anybody who's listening, obviously check it out. But look, we are running out of time. And unfortunately, again, as with so many of my guests, I could just keep talking to you forever. And so I'll just ask you maybe one or two questions before we leave but I guess is there a particular piece of advice that you'd want to leave mums who are concerned with maybe trying to start their own thing or worrying about not having enough time etc is there any advice that maybe you have for them who are people who are considering entrepreneurship as new mums Yeah, I mean, I think it's really difficult. I don't think it's an easy option. But if you have an idea and it's something you feel passionate about, then you'll never know unless you try. And the beauty of running your own business is, yes, you can make it flexible to your own schedule and your family life. However, the downside is you never truly switch off. So I'm in a great position now because I get to take my kids to school every day. There's always that mum guilt. And I I think it's very true to say that men typically 
don't feel that. Whereas as mums, a lot of us do. But I think it's a brilliant thing for giving you that flexibility. But also, you don't necessarily make money from it quickly. And although my business is going really well, I'm reinvesting everything back. So I'm still hardly paying myself because all the money that comes in is being reinvested to grow the business. It's been a real learning curve, all of Mm. that, actually. Yeah. But I'm getting them. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely to have a chat. I look forward to catching up with you soon. All right. Okay, cheers. Bye. You made it. You've reached the end of the Springback Guide podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate it five stars to join everyone else in spreading the word about how to go back to work happy and confident after your baby. You can find me on Instagram at Springback Guide, or if you're feeling really inspired, head to springbackguide.com to go for it and invest in yourself. Okay, see you soon.